Hello everyone, I'm Rory McDonald from Dairy Australia's farm team and I'm really pleased to welcome you to the first nationwide dairy pod. So having started this as a Gips Dairy podcast just over a year ago now, Dairy Pod has quickly built up a large farmer audience with more than 10,000 episodes listened so far. While it's now a national podcast coming to you from Dairy Australia, we're still really committed to providing the same great content designed to help make better farm decisions on your farm and to build a better farm business for you. So for our first Australia-wide podcast, we are talking about something that is currently having a huge impact on all our lives, which is of course the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. And we're specifically talking about the impacts of COVID-19 on the operation of dairy farms. Today, my DA colleague, Dr. Steph Bullen, who's the animal health and fertility lead from the farm team, and also DA's technical and innovation manager, Dr. John Penry, will take you through some of the basics of how to deal with the threat of COVID-19 on your farm. It's a new and fast changing world and we all need to adapt. So please have a listen and take on board the recommendations for keeping yourself your staff and your farm business in good shape over the coming months. Hi John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Steph. So we're currently uh, catching up over the internet at the moment uh, in the interests of uh, current the current situation. So um, the sound quality is probably not gonna be as sharp as it is for the usual dairy pods, but uh, yeah, really fortunate that we're able to catch up and hopefully bring you some really valuable information about coronavirus. So, John, I'm wondering if you could kick off by telling us a little bit uh, about coronavirus and how um, does it have any impacts on cows uh, and is there any risk of transmission via the milk? Yeah, thanks, Steph. So the coronavirus we're talking about is a novel coronavirus. It's actually called COVID-19. So this is a completely different type of coronavirus to um, other coronaviruses that affect humans and one coronavirus that affects calves in early age. It's a completely different sort of virus. The best evidence we have provided through the OIE, which is an international um, United Nations associated group that looks at um, animal health and disease around the world, is that there is absolutely no evidence that COVID-19 can be spread either from humans to animals, specifically cows, or from animal to animal, so from cow to cow. And it also can't be spread through the milk. There is no evidence for that at all. And we also have assurances that any pathogen that goes into milk um, uh, gets taken out through the pasteurization process when it is, when it is uh, converted into a product for um, human consumption. Okay, that's really interesting, John. So in terms of uh, applying sort of your fundamental quality assurance programs, is that, is that still important with coronavirus? Yeah, so those normal processes remain uh, important. So all of the steps that you would normally take to ensure good milk quality and low bacterial load um, in the milk, uh, proper plant cleaning, all those things still remain in place. I can't overemphasize the fact that there is no evidence at all that COVID-19 can be transferred through milk. That's great. So with the COVID-19, we're largely looking at sort of the risks around our staff and ourselves and potentially any service providers that come on farm. Um, we've been hearing lots about social distancing and hand hygiene and, you know, sneezing hygiene and things like that. 
how do we how do we actually manage that uh you know when we're milking and we're you know we're potentially moving around each other in quite a confined space within a dairy have you got any thoughts as to you know practically how can farmers implement some of the recommendations that are coming out of the department of health well one of the things i think to think about first is what does social distancing actually mean um in one sense, it's the common term now, but it's also a strange term because what it really says is we want physical distance between people. So specifically, the Department of Health has said uh, 1.5 metres or greater. Certainly, if you were more than that out to say three metres, that gives you a greater level of assurance. Specifically for milking, where often you've got more than one person in a relatively confined space, we have to think uh, carefully about how we can put that in place. In a rotary shed, it's relatively straightforward because you've generally got um, each person in the milking parlour on an each side of the bridge. If you've got two people at either cups on or cups off in a rotary, it would make sense to have at least three or four bales between you um, to give yourself that physical separation or that social distancing. The way to implement it in a herringbone is a little bit more um, particular. And the suggestion is currently that if you are not in the habit of milking in a zone within the herringbone pit, where you've got two or more people milking, and you want to get into the habit where you've got certain rows, uh, sorry, certain stalls um, that you attend to, and you try and work in a pattern where you're always maintaining distance between you, rather than meeting in the middle somewhere and then, and then going back to do the next uh, row. You want to have a dedicated person who does anything to do with um, herding cows out of the yard and you want to have a dedicated person uh, doing jobs around um, separating cows out. So the whole process is to try and maintain that 1.5 to 2 metre spread between people. And it goes without saying that milking gloves become even more important than what they were before. One of the things about COVID-19 for humans is that asymptomatic humans that are already infected can shed the virus through pores in their skin. So to that end, it's extra important you wear milking gloves and start wearing them for the whole milking process. So from the time that the vat is attached all the way through the milking until the time when the vat is detached, um, you wanna wear those gloves. And get in the habit too of using your teat spray every row or say every 20 cows in a rotary. Spray your gloves with the teat spray because that will help to reduce uh, any pathogen load that may have built up uh, on those gloves as well. That's great, John. So a, a couple of things I'm hoping that I might be able to pull apart a little bit further um, from you, if that's okay. So in terms of pathogen load there, we're talking about COVID-19 as, as a virus, um, but it could also include things like mastitis bacteria and things as well. So by pathogens, we're meaning bugs, um, you know, that are, are transmissible. Pre predominantly in this conversation, we're talking about the, the coronavirus. Um, so when we're talking about the zones, John, um, just thinking about how this might work. Um, so you could, you'd have one staff member potentially at the front of the pit um, who was doing any drafting that's required and then they might come to about halfway down the pit and then another person at the back half of the pit that's bringing in cows if there's any kind of stragglers that need to be brought in. Is that, is that sort of what you're thinking by working in zones? Yeah, that's correct. So think of it this way. Let's say you've got a 20 aside swing over or a 20 aside double up. You might uh, organise it so that units one through to 10 
uh, is one person's responsibility. Units 11 through to 20 is the other person's responsibility. But have your work patterns as if they're in parallel is the best way to describe it. So you're all working down the pit or up the pit in unison to try and maintain that distance of at least 1.5 or preferably three metres between each other as you work. Sure, and so things like test buckets, um, obviously the, re the risk of transmission is gonna be reduced if you're both wearing gloves, but it would probably make sense to have one test bucket in or two test buckets in each of the zones as well, so you're not sharing equipment between the two milkers. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And the other thing I think which is worthwhile um, covering is that any shared piece of equipment irrespective of wearing of whether you are wearing gloves or not any shared pieces of equipment you don't want to be handling those together at the same time and between people using them you want to try and disinfect them um, as best as you possibly can with either a uh, teeth spray or preferably make up some 70 percent alcohol so that's seven parts metho three parts water put it into a spray uh, can uh, one of those hand spray pumps and use that and use it really liberally. Um, it also applies to when you are coupling up um, the hose for the vat, after you have done that job, spray the coupling as well, um, both uh, when you are putting it on and also when you are taking it off, just to try and reduce um, the potential for stainless steel surfaces to transfer the virus. Yeah, okay, that's a great example of a practical disinfectant um, that farmers might be able to use to try and minimise the, the risk of transmission amongst staff and visitors to the farm. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, there's a few products that are on the market, uh, you know, that are very heavy duty disinfectants, um, Vercon being one. Is that necessary in this situation? What we know about the virus is it's, a, um, it's an enveloped virus. So the, the protein capsule that's around it is quite easy to disrupt. And that's how the virus um, is killed. It's worth, it's worth noting that viruses do not replicate outside of the host body. So if this virus is outside of a human body, it can't replicate, but it can survive. And the evidence we have to hand at the moment is it can survive for up to uh, five to seven days. So um, things like um, Vercon, a very well-known uh, commercial disinfectant, they will work absolutely fine. But something as simple as seven parts metho, three parts water will also do the job. So alcohol-based disinfectants um, will disrupt that protein envelope outside the virus and render it um, not able to be infected. Yeah, that's great. And presumably a lot cheaper than some of those very expensive, very heavy duty um, disinfectants as well. Um, so that's great. So we've spoken a little bit about disinfecting sort of shared equipment. Are there other areas within the dairy that are really important, um, you know, just to, to keep in mind, I suppose, when we're, when we're looking at disinfecting particular touch points? Um, what, what are the key, we, we talked about particularly the VAT connection, um, but are there other areas that we need to really focus on? Well, I think the best answer to that is you know, any shared um, control panel buttons, um, any commonly shared pieces of equipment. But I think in a dairy, it's, it's, it's the buttons that are associated with uh, automatic takeoff or any of the automation around the stalls. They're the ones that will need to have extra care taken with them. 
So beyond keeping your milking gloves on, think about using um, that disinfectant spray that you've now got handy in the dairy and spray those at regular intervals. You certainly want to be spraying them down um, once or twice during milking and certainly at the end of milking as well. The same goes for a, uh, the control unit around your CIP process for the vat. Um, so that's the wash the process? The wash controller, yeah, yep. Yeah, that's correct. And conscious of the fact that um, the same instructions have now been given to milk tanker operators. So these people have been um, uh, instructed with a new protocol that when they are doing the pickups on farm, they'll be A, wearing gloves, and B, um, practicing physical separation. So ideally, any of the farm personnel won't actually be near them at all when the pickup's taking place. And C, they'll also be using disinfectant to apply to not only the coupling that goes onto the vat um, to empty the milk, but also any of the control panel um, the control panel buttons that they might be touching as part of the process of um, emptying the vat or putting the cleaning process in place after the milk has been removed. So, yeah, that's great. I suppose when we're thinking about farm visitors and, you know, potential exposure, where dairy farmers are in a quite a fortunate position when it comes to sort of social or physical distancing because largely they're working in isolation and they're probably not coming into contact with the same Sort of numbers of people as perhaps someone that lives in town but we we do have regular farm visitors perhaps relative to you know potentially a beef or a sheep farmer um with tanker drivers being a key one so you touched on a couple of things that the tanker drivers are going to be doing to help minimize their risk is there anything else farmers can be doing to um you know protect themselves or potentially minimize any risk of transmission to the tanker drivers from the farm side are there are there additional things that could be useful um, you know, is it worth putting it, you know, hand washing around the vat, um, you know, bins for disposing of those gloves, those sort of things? Well, all those things you've just mentioned then, Steph, um, would be uh, very useful. I think maybe the other thing that we haven't touched on that's worth noting now is um, we have really clear evidence from uh, every country that has been dealing with COVID-19 that people who are 60 years of or over, or people who have preconditions which might increase their risk of um, the infection being more severe. So those types of risk factors are things like pre-existing heart disease, diabetes, if you're a smoker, if you've got any sort of pulmonary or lung condition that's pre-existing. Pre, um, pre those people um, with a, you know, a special emphasis of, of for people over 60 years of age, those people are at increased risk. So um, whether you are a, uh, a person who's working on a farm or owning a farm, uh, whether you're a tanker operator, if you sit in that category, you've got to take extra precautions, potentially even thinking about not doing your job as you normally would do it um, because the risks are so high if you did become infected. So all of those things that you mentioned um, are absolutely important but thinking about um, your personal risk factors and how that might need to modify what you do, either on farm or if you're a service provider of farm, that's gotta be thought through really clearly and carefully. 
And presumably the same would apply, John, if you've got um, potentially household members um, that live with you that have, are over 60 or have potentially got some sort of underlying conditions as well, um, because potentially there's, you know, there's that risk of you bringing something home as well. Would, would you agree? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, in, in broad terms, you've got, you've got two potential ways you can try and operate a farm in the face of this uh, pandemic. One is you could say, well, um, we're going to essentially self-isolate the farm uh, and the people who work on the farm. Now, that can, that can potentially be an option, specifically if it's a family farm and it's family members that are running the farm. So in that sort of scenario, any inputs that are coming onto the farm would essentially have to be uh, disinfected. So if you've got goods that you are going to use, let's use a practical example, you need to get a drum of uh, spray because you're doing some pasture renovation. You get that spray delivered to the farm. Um, and before you come in contact with that container, you either leave it sit for seven days or you spray it with disinfectant and only handle it with gloves. In either, in either instance, you would only be handling these things with gloves. So that's one way of approaching it. If your circumstance on the farm is not such that you can essentially self-isolate the, uh, the, the business, let's say you've got employees um, that are coming onto the farm each day, or for whatever other reason, then you really have to ramp up how you think about running the farm so that people stay distant from each other. They, say they stay physically distant from each other. So you try and really limit the number of jobs where you need two people in close contact to do those jobs. And if there's anyone working on the farm uh, or part of the farm uh, ownership who is over 60 or has any of those pre-existing risk conditions, you have to think really carefully about whether those people should be trying to do their normal jobs uh, at all. And certainly they would have to take extra precautions around physical distancing from other people um, and other ways of trying to reduce the ability to have um, the virus come onto your skin um, and then uh, be in contact with either your airways or your mouth. So that means doing a lot more things with gloves. That means using disinfectant liberally. That means washing your hands very, very regularly. That means not touching your face. Uh, and what about masks, John? Is there benefit in these high-risk category um, farm staff potentially wearing masks or would you just advise that they avoid coming into contact with other team members as, as much as possible? Uh, masks haven't been spoken about too much on farm yet. Uh, one of the issues is just getting a supply of masks. But I think um, what can come in parallel with that is if you have to cough or sneeze, make sure you're doing it um, either into a tissue um, or a handkerchief or an elbow. And um, again, one of the things which sort of in, in part mitigates um, the risk again is to keep that physical separation. So using physical separation will help to combat things that masks might be used for in workplaces where keeping physical separation has been a lot harder uh, in, in um, what we've seen in, in society in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, sure. And one of the other things that we've heard lots about, um, you know, just in the general community is sort of around hand washing. And we know that, you know, hand washing facilities are not necessarily available um, on dairy farms 
um, or, or you know, really good hand washing facilities. Is that something that dairy farmers should be concentrating on setting up some sort of um, setting up some sort of place or a designated station, um, potentially putting up some signage for staff around proper hand washing, um, and just making sure that you know a pump pack of soap is available. Is that is that would you recommend that in terms of a, a, an appropriate step as well? Yeah, I think that's a great step. But one of the other things that um, people might want to consider when they're working on farm is just really increasing the use of disposable gloves. So using them beyond the sort of tasks that they would normally uh, use them for. Our best understanding at the moment is that uh, those nitrile milking gloves, which are quite common, are still in reasonable supply. Um, and most people tend to have a pretty good stock of those. So I would be, uh, certainly um, encouraging people to use those disposal gloves more often. Obviously putting in as many hand sanitizing or hand washing places um, in the workplace on farm is an absolutely fantastic idea and is becoming increasingly essential. Um, but let's think about all of the ways that we can help to reduce the potential for virus shedding through skin. Um, at, at this point, I suppose it's, it's worth mentioning uh, what we understand based on um, all of the accumulated science in the last couple of months is that something in the order of 85% of people who become infected with COVID-19 become infected as a result of contact with a person who was yet to show symptoms. So the practical implication of that is um, it's not good enough to think that if a person's not showing any symptoms, they are unlikely to be shedding the virus. We have to spin it around on its, uh, through 180 degrees and think of it this way. We just have to assume that um, uh, every contact we have with another human being has the potential to uh, transmit the, the virus. Um, and so to that end, we've got to be extra, extra cautious about what we're doing with our hands and, and how we can try and protect um, uh, the, the contact surfaces on our hands, um, that skin, uh, and we're going to do that through um, increased hand washing, increased hand sanitization, the extra use of disposable gloves, physical distancing. Awesome, and presumably, like particularly talking about the uh, transmission from people that aren't showing symptoms, um, I guess one of the things that really flags in my mind is sort of consultants and other service providers that might be coming on farm. So um, examples might uh, include vets or um, people delivering, um, I mean, we spoke a little bit about delivering um, uh, pesticides and herbicides, etc. but um, certainly vets, um, herd testing, um, service providers, farm consultants, that sort of thing. Are there any additional considerations? I mean, we may have some of those service providers listening to the podcast. Um, have we got any sort of additional recommendations for either the farmers or for the service providers um, in addition to what we've already said? I suppose the first port of call here is um, think through very carefully, does the service that you're going to get conducted on farm, does it actually have to happen? Can it be deferred? Is it, is it essential for the running of the farm operation? If it is, and you have to have a service provider coming on farm, then let's try and put in place all of the things we know will reduce the spread of the virus. So for example, irrespective of the job, the service provider wears gloves, wears disposable gloves, irrespective of the job, maintain physical separation 
of 1.5 metres or up to three metres if you can. Uh, take into account ways of being able to disinfect and wash hands really cleanly uh, as many times as you can. But I come back to the point that if you can use disposable gloves right throughout the job, irrespective of the job, do it that way. Be extra mindful of pieces of equipment that two people are going to handle, not at the same time, that they might both handle in the course of doing the job. Have that 70% um, alcohol spray handy. Um, disinfect the piece of equipment in between two people using it. They're the sorts of things we need to put in place. If you're over 60 years of age or you have any of those pre-existing um, high-risk conditions, um, it's not really that wise then to go on farm if you're a service provider. Think really carefully about your personal risk based on the demographic you're in. No, that's awesome. So I think, I mean, we're hearing some pretty clear messaging sort of regardless of who you are and what sort of role you might play on farm. So whether you're a, an employee or a, a member of the milking team, uh, a farm owner or a service provider, really critically, first of all, you know, what, what's your risk category um, and what's the risk category of, you know, potentially members of your family or your household. Um, making sure that you're washing hands, you're practicing, you know, sneezing and coughing etiquette, um, wearing gloves uh, and disinfecting any um, equipment that you might be using together, I think are, are certainly consistent messages across the board. So that's great. Um, so probably um, just to, to change direction just slightly, I guess, um, are there any word on shortages of vaccines, medical supplies, herbicides, pesticides, uh, you know, in terms of sort of the logistical challenges that um, COVID's presenting? At this stage, we don't have really firm information on that. One of the things that we've put in place is through the uh, regional teams of Dairy Australia, we're at the moment, um, essentially contacting service provider businesses, irrespective of what type of service they provide to dairy farms. And we're trying to get an assessment of two things. Um, a, what are those businesses that are no longer servicing farms directly at this point in time? And B, um, what types of supply issues have we got around um, inputs that normally would be used to run a dairy farm? Um, so, Obviously, things like vaccines and medications are part of that um, part of that story. So, at this stage, we don't have any um, we don't have any solid uh, information to say that there are supply chain shortages. But we're taking active steps to understand what that scenario looks like, and we're doing that on a weekly basis. Uh, so, it's an emerging it's an emerging story. We don't we don't understand yet. Um, fully whether there's likely to be any shortages with um, vaccines or medicines. But one of the things we are putting in place is we are building some technical resources right now to assist farmers in navigating that should they find that either vaccines or medications become in short supply. And, and that work is ongoing as we speak. Yeah, okay. So I think probably the message I'm hearing, John, is that it's it's a bit of a moving, moving feast, I suppose. Um, What's the best way in which farmers can, can stay up to date? I mean, uh, this, this podcast is, is one example, but potentially the situation might be changing either tomorrow or, or the next day. Um, how do, where do farmers access the latest information as it relates specifically to the dairy industry and, and specific issues that may be presenting, um, you know, in our sort of unique situation? Yeah, thanks, Steph. For the uh, materials that are being put together by both um, 
Dairy Australia in conjunction with uh, Australian dairy farmers and also in conjunction with the Australian Dairy Products Federation, which represents the processors. Our one-stop shop uh, and, and the one place you should look to as a, as a first, as a first um, uh, place to go is if you go to the Dairy Australia website, um, on the homepage, there's a button that says COVID-19 directory. If you press uh, or click on that, um, it takes you through to a dedicated uh, web page we've built. All of the resources around how we can navigate this as a dairy industry are situated on that, on that page. Uh, the navigation of that has been set up and is being refined so things are able to be found really quickly. We are literally updating things on that um, every day. And in addition to what you can read or download off the website around this, we're also taking steps to quite rapidly um, convert that information into every other type of channel we think um, is useful for communication. And that will range from things on social media through to, for example, this podcast that people are listening to right now, through to things which might end up um, on YouTube and a range of other methods of communicating um, messages so that people will have access to this information in multiple ways. That's great, John. And presumably if farmers are having trouble finding some of these resources or they need something specific, they can get in touch with their um, RDP or their, you know, their, their local um, extension network and they can, that, that the regional teams can sort of help point them in the right direction. Yes, that's correct, Steph. So, um, many farmers will have a relationship with a, at least one of the extension officers that work with the Dairy Australia regional teams, um, contact them, whilst the regional officers um, will not be taking um, people coming on site at this point in time, and that's, that's pretty common across the regional offices now. Um, everyone's on their phones, everyone's on their email, um, so there's lots and lots of ways that you can get in contact. Um, so please, um, connect with those people um, as you see uh, necessary and we will assist you in showing you where that information is and how you can use it on your dairy farm um, as best as we possibly can. Okay, that's great, John. So the key messages really are, um, for more information, go to the Dairy Australia website. So that's www.dairyaustralia.com.au. Uh, and click on the COVID-19 uh, box uh, to follow the links there or get in touch with your regional development program uh, extension officers if you need some help navigating that. Um, look, John, I think that's been a great, uh, I guess, first cab off the rank in terms of um, really just trying to um, uh, think about the practical implications of um, COVID-19 on your farm and hopefully that's been valuable for our listeners. Um, as I said, there's plenty of more information available on the Dairy Australia website uh, and we will be looking to put out further communications and podcasts um, as the situation evolves. So thank you very much for your time, John. Uh, it's been a great session and uh, hopefully beneficial for lots of people. Thanks very much, Steph. And the dairy industry, we're a resilient bunch and we'll navigate these tricky waters together. Thanks to Steph and John for taking us through some really valuable information there on how to protect yourself and your farm team in the current climate. DairyPod will have more updates on COVID-19 in the coming days and weeks. However, we won't forget that cows still need to be milked and pastures have to be sown and all of the other business of farming goes on no matter what's happening in the wider world. So with that in mind, we'll also be rolling out 
some non-COVID-19 podcasts as well, so stay tuned for those. Don't forget that you can find all previous episodes of Dairy Pod on the Dairy Pod archive, and you can get that on SoundCloud or you can subscribe at Apple Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone, and take care. Mm-hmm.